Uh, my name is Jeremy Walker, and I get to lead this breakout session. I'm kind of uh, jealous of some of the other breakout sessions. The other two topics, I kind of wish someone else was leading this one because I want to go listen to those two. I need help on parenting and thinking about work correctly. But today, we're going to talk about how to better manage your money. Um, <clears throat> and there's handouts coming by. If you uh, didn't get one, there should be plenty of extras I think they're up here in the front. And, and that's going to be really helpful. There's an answer key on the back, too, in case don't get stressed. You're like, oh, no, I missed one. They're all on the back, so you're good to go. But uh, that should be helpful as we're going to be talking about some stuff later. Um, you know, as I was thinking about just the idea of <clears throat> the typical way people think about finances, I think sometimes finances is a misunderstood area where, uh, especially in the Christian realm, we tend to put God sometimes in our minds uh, in a spiritual arena, and maybe we begin to let God kind of filter over into the idea of relationships and, and maybe even into the idea of uh, work or other things. But finances, I mean, really, I just, isn't that kind of a topic related to the world? And God, God's above that kind of stuff. He doesn't care about finances. He doesn't have a lot to say about it. Um, that's what I... Uh, sometimes thought originally starting out, but then as I began to kind of study the Bible, as I began to get into it, I began to realize, wow, God actually has a whole lot to say about finances. In fact, one noted financial author says there's over 800 verses in the Bible that deal with money. And Jesus himself, actually, if you begin to look at what he talked about in the Gospels, he had more to say about finances than he did about heaven and hell combined. So obviously it's a fairly important topic to our lives, which is why I think God gives so much time to talk about in different areas of life. So that's why we're going to talk about it today and just how to better manage your money. But before we jump into some of the stuff that I hand out, I just want to give you a little bit of a background of just some of my financial journey so you know a little bit more of where I'm coming from. Um, you know, when I, I, I majored in business in college, but my personal uh, handling of money was not very uh, grown up at that point when I was in college. Uh, when I was younger, I was taught to be generous and to give regularly. But outside of that, my whole understanding of money was just basically on the principle of don't run out. Um, and so that's pretty much what I lived out of uh, all throughout college and managed to uh, not run out by the end of college. But there was constantly this stress of uh, an ambiguity of wondering, you know, if I went out to eat with friends, if I went to uh, spend time going to a movie or something like that, would I uh, have enough money left over from the money I made during the summer job previously to last me the rest of the school year or not? And so there was always this just kind of uh, ambiguity and stress about it. And then about five months after I graduated college, I had about $30 left in my bank account. Um, but the good thing is I had no job, and I had $50,000 in student loan debt and uh, had a semi-nice engagement ring that I was hitting in my hidden in my sock drawer, ready to give to uh, my girlfriend at the time, but I had not yet given it to her because I didn't have a job yet. And see, I went on a two-month missions trip to Africa after I graduated, and when I came back, I decided, okay, before I ask for, uh, for her to marry me, I want to get her parents' blessing, and before I do that, I need a job. It took me a little longer secure than I thought it would. Um, but, you know, eventually, uh, things worked out. It, it was pretty tight, to say at least at first, but... Uh, you can be encouraged. I did get a job, and we did get married. But around that same time, um, during that summer, a mentor of mine uh, named Max Barnett encouraged me to read this book 
called Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. And uh, he said it was a really helpful book on finances, so I trusted him and began to read it. And so while I was overseas in Africa, when I had free time here and there, uh, two of the things I did throughout that summer is I began to read this book, and then I began to study what the book of Proverbs had to say about uh, how to handle your money and just principles from that, and began for the first time to get on the journey of figuring out what does the Bible and uh, God's Word say about how to handle our finances. Um, and then, you know, when I graduated and and got my first job, um, I was working at this company called Jasco Products, and it turns out they were big Dave Ramsey fans too, and they offered this course that normally costs a little over $100 to go through called Financial Peace University. They offered it to free for their employees, and so I got to go through that, and that was really also really helpful in learning how to uh, live on a budget, learn how to think biblically about my finances, learning how to get out of debt, learning how to save and invest, and just a lot of the practical uh, adulting things of finances that I had no idea about uh, back in college. So about six months after um, I got this job, Katie and I got married on April 18th, 2009. And then uh, now coming into marriage, Katie was bringing a little bit of debt too. She had about $5,000 of student loan debt herself. Um, I had basically the same thing, just with an extra zero on the end. I had $50,000 of student loan debt. and uh, But, you know, when she said, I do, it became our debt. And so uh, we decided to join together and figure out how to begin to pay this off. Now, she got the raw end of that, but, you know, she said I do anyway. Now, a- after we got married, uh, again, we didn't handle our finances perfectly by any means, but there was a- a several things that we did um, that were a little unusual to the average person in America that really helped us begin to get off to a good start. Uh, the first thing that we did is we decided to that we were going to live on a budget from the start. And literally, as the plane was descending, coming back from our honeymoon, we were finishing writing out on paper our first, first month's budget as a married couple. And, you know, by the grace of God, for the last 10-plus years, we've been writing out a monthly budget every month uh, for the last 10 and a half years of our, our marriage. Um, and the second thing we decided to do is, in order to get out of debt and uh, quicker, we decided we were going to live well below um, our financial means in order to pay off debt aggressively. And at the same time, one of the things we were going to do is we were we were going to continue to be generous and continue to give and not just wait to do that till we were out of debt. Um, and even at times, you know, give sacrificially, but we decided to live well below our means. And then tied to that one, the third thing it is we decided that we were going to live based just on my income, not on both our incomes. We were both working a job. We decided we we're going to live just based on my income so that if uh, the time ever came that Katie, for whatever reason, kids or something else said she didn't want to work anymore, uh, she could do that. And uh, what that really did is basically we end up using her income as an extra source for more giving and paying off debt a lot faster than later on for, for just saving and investing and stuff like that. Um, and that was really helpful because eventually, you know, Katie did uh, stop working. And uh, there it was a little bit of an adjustment, but it wasn't a major adjustment as much as it might be for some people because our lifestyle wasn't tied to two incomes. It was really just tied to mine. And so it wasn't as hard of a step for her to stop uh, stop working, to be at home full-time with our kids, which was something we decided a couple years ago that was the, probably the best choice for us to do. Um, and so throughout the years, uh, you know, there have been faith steps along the way that's really allowed us to grow in our trust in God. Um and to see how he's going to meet our needs. Faith steps to give regularly 
and continue to increase our percentage of giving uh, year by year. Um, faith steps to move from Oklahoma to California because we felt like this is where we needed to be to get more training and to get plugged into Church in the Valley and Christian Challenge at USC. Um, although Oklahoma is a much less expensive state to live, uh, California is where we felt like we needed to be. Um, you know, faith steps to to meet certain needs in people's lives financially, even though uh, things were sometimes tight for us and figuring, okay, how's God going to come through there? But we're going to, we're going to, you know, obey him in this. And then faith steps for Katie um, to stop working full time so that she could really uh, focus on our kids and, and be able to still have time to build into girls at USC. And then faith steps for me to step out of business and to eventually um, go full time into college ministry where, you know, we raise support and there were, very clear ways to climb the ladder more in business that uh, we were choosing to forego. And I, and I give you some of these examples just because um, all these faith steps, what, what they've really begun to build more and more for Katie and I is just a more reassured uh, sense that God is really trustworthy, you know, that he, you really can rely on him, and he is um, faithful. He's going to take care of you, and he's going to take care of me. And so, uh, you know, the handout that we're going to talk about and walk through this morning um, is really just some of the outflow of as we have tried to get in the Bible and live out walking with God in this and learn from other people, uh, just things that we've seen to be true, not just theories. And some of them have been birthed out of bad choices we made and realized, oh, what do you know? That's true, <laughs> and we should have followed that. Um, but either way, I, I hope that as we jump in this, you see if this isn't just, well, this could be true, but we, I mean, for what we found, we found voices actually uh, the way life works uh, as it relates to finances. Um, so we'll go ahead and just jump in here. And the way this is going to kind of work is uh, if you think of the talk sort of as a funnel, like we're going to talk about some big picture stuff and get a little bit more detailed uh, as the end of the talk goes. And we'll see if we have time or not, but I would love to, um, if you have questions, I can take some of those at the end, or even if uh, our time's up and you want to ask me afterwards, um, this will not be, uh, everything you ever wanted to know about finances, but it'll be a chunk of it. So, so starting off, uh, there's three foundational biblical perspectives on money that I've seen to be true that really is going to paint the picture for a lot of the rest of this. The first is all money and possessions belong to God. All money and possessions belong to God, and we are simply managers or stewards of his money and possessions. We're simply managers or stewards of his money and possessions. First Chronicles 29, 11 uh, through 12 says, For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things, and in your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, that's a pretty important biblical foundation because when you think about it, um, who owns the money is is going to really affect how you tend to view it. You know, if you were managing money for someone else, you might think about things a little bit differently than if it was your own bank account. You know, have you noticed it's a lot easier to give other people's money away than it is to give your own money away too? I mean, if I just came up and gave $100 to Patrick and said, hey, Patrick, pick five people to give, you know, $20 each to that. I mean, that wouldn't be hard for him at all. But if I said, Patrick, take out your wallet, take $100 out of your wallet, and give it, ah, that's a little harder, you know. So there's just a lot of implications that we'll see in the rest of the talk that are tied to, man, uh, if, it, if God owns it all, then there's some, some things we need to think about in relation to that. And the second is God gives us the ability to earn. We are not self-made people. 
That is very anti-American, but it's true. Uh, Deuteronomy 8, 17, 18 says, You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives the ability to produce wealth and so confirms this covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. You know, it can be easy to kind of think, well, I go to a job. The paycheck has my name on it. It's my money. You know, I decide how I want to spend it, what I want to use it. But the Bible says actually it's something a little different. It says, yeah, your name's on it, but man, God is the one who gave you the brains, the ability, and the connections, and the, the where you lived and grew up to allow you to even work in the job that uh, that you have in the first place. And then the third big one is uh, money is amoral. Money's amoral, neither good nor evil. It can be a great asset if you have some, uh, but it's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil, the love of money. First Timothy 6, 9 and 10 says, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You know, money is one of those things. It's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It's just a thing. You know, it can be a tool to use uh, for good. It can be a tool that's used for bad. And what Paul warns about in this verse is about loving money. He says that if, you know, if that's the main thing we go after, we're going to really open ourselves up to all sorts of grief. And oftentimes uh, that really tends to lead people away from actually walking with God. And just like certain drugs, you know, kind of can be gateway drugs into even worse drugs. Uh, that's kind of how uh, the picture is in this verse is, man, as you begin to love money, that's going to lead you down a path towards a lot worse things that you don't want to be, be toying around. So you really have to watch out with really uh, loving money. And we'll talk more about that in a second. But uh, with that in mind, uh, if this is really God's money and money is a tool and we don't want to love it, but we want to use it well and he's the one that provides it. That's a good question to ask, you know, how then should I use his money if it actually is his? And so that's kind of the next part I want to talk about a little bit is like, what, what are four big categories, four things that God wants us to use his money for? And the first one is this, to take care of our needs and our family's needs. To take care of our needs and our family's needs. First Timothy 5.8 says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You know, it's actually not primarily a responsibility of other people to take care of you or your family. Um, it's primarily our responsibility. It's it's the prime. It's a responsibility of the, the people in the family to take care of of the family around them. And it's not the government's job. It's not um, your rich uncle's job. It's actually your job to take care of your family. Second uh, Thessalonians three ten through twelve says, "For even when we were with you." We gave you this rule. If a man does not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. Now, you know, one of the ways uh, God is going to uh, meet your needs and your family needs is by giving you the ability to actually work. Um, like we talked about in Deuteronomy. Now, a, a word of caution, I would say to that is... As we're taking care of our needs and our family's needs, we have to learn to differentiate, and this is the next thing you're handing out, we have to learn to differentiate the difference between needs and wants. Needs and wants. Um, now, you can see, God, God is a good father, and he promises there in Philippians 4.19 that he's going to meet all of our needs, but he doesn't say 
He's going to be like a genie in a bottle and give us every single thing we ever desire. And that's a good thing. Some things you desire might actually hurt you. Um, he doesn't meet uh, all of our, you know, wants, but he, he will meet all of our needs. And actually, he, he's going to meet a lot of your wants, too. I think he's a, as a good father, he enjoys giving his kids good gifts, um, and he enjoys being able to allow them to have money to do fun things with. But uh, it can be easy for us to think sometimes that um, so many of the things in our that we want are needs, when actually, if we're being real, it's okay to have some desires, but a lot of what we want falls in the want category, not in the need category. Um, or it can be easy to think, well, God's going to meet all of my needs and wants, and then if there's anything left over, I look to use it to help other people. And, and neither of those are actually accurate. And if we don't get beyond the idea of seeing everything as just a need and not a want, we'll never have money left over yet to the other three things that I think God wants us to really use his money for. Um, now, part of meeting our needs and our family's needs comes through, that's the next part there, comes through saving and investing. Comes through saving and investing. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard, and consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. You know, a person who has a savings account can still be trusting God ultimately to provide for them. Um, and a person who doesn't have one isn't any more spiritual, just means they don't have one. <laughs> um, and in fact, actually, sometimes it's easy to think, well, you know, if, if I'm really trusting God, he'll provide. Well, he might. But it could be in the plan of God that God wants you to wisely save and invest in years that you have more so that when you're older and you're not making money or you have a lot more expenses, that you have money for those years. It can actually be fairly presumptuous to think, well, I'm just going to consume everything I have at any given time I have it, and God will meet things in the future. Well, he could, but that might not be the plan he has for you. And so you want to be wise about that. And we're going to talk a little bit about a safeguard to that later because you could also go to the other end of the spectrum and save everything, you know, but that's not always the, a wise idea either. But so, so that's the first thing is to meet your needs and the needs of your family. The second thing I think God wants us to give, uh, use his money for is to help meet needs of those around us who are less fortunate and or can't help themselves, who are less fortunate and can't help themselves. I love this quote by Margaret Thatcher. Uh, she said, no one would remember the good Samaritan if he'd only had good intentions. He had money as well. Um, and I think that's right, which is why, you know, we can't spend uh, all the money we have on ourselves. First Timothy six seventeen and eighteen says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. You know, and in case you've you've ever read that first or you just heard that right now and you think, Oh, that that doesn't apply to me. I'm not rich. Actually, you know, it depends on what you're talking about. Because, you see, if you live here in North America, you are rich by the most the entire rest of the world standards. So this verse actually does apply to you because um, God has given us a whole lot. And there are always people around us that are going to have needs. And one of the primary ways that God has sought to meet those needs is going to be by putting money in your pocket and my pocket to actually meet the needs of those people. First uh, John three seventeen and eighteen says, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, 
How can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us love with words. Uh, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. You know, it's okay to love people with your words, but you ought to learn to love them with your money too. Um, and this can be, you know, and honestly, the, it, it can be scary at first, but the more you begin to do it, it's really fun because you start getting creative of like, and looking around like, whose needs can I meet? Like what, how would God want me to use what I've got to really meet the needs of those around me? Um, it might be something like buying someone else a meal or leaving a big tip at a restaurant to a waitress or a waiter that's there that, you know, they're working the job like that for a reason. And so you can really be able to, to, to bless them by leaving a big tip. Or maybe you're, you budget more for gifts or you, you, you just choose to give some money anonymously to someone that you know has a need and they never know about it. That's pretty fun. Um, there's all sorts of creative ways that you can meet needs in people's lives if you're just observant. Um, now, like I said, it can be scary at first to think like, well, I don't know about this. But one of the things that if you will begin to test God in this and he'll show to be faithful is like God will not rip you off. You know, you can never outgive God. Um, and at the end of the day, I think one of the things you kind of have to decide on is, do I want more stories or do I want more stuff? You know, because see, uh, if, if you are, if you live a life of generosity, uh, you're going to have so many stories of how God has used you to meet needs in people's lives or God has met needs in your life as you've met needs in other people's lives. Um, and story, and if you're, if you're married or if you're single, some of those stories are only going to be between you and your spouse and so no one else will know, but you'll get to cherish those the rest of your life. You know, now stuff is good, but stuff eventually breaks. You might give it away or even worse, you buy a storage unit to house all the stuff you don't plan on ever using. You know, but see stories, they, they don't break. They, they last forever and you don't have to dust them, you know. So, so I'd encourage you, I'd opt for more stories than just more stuff. Now in meeting needs, uh, there's this paradoxical but true verse, uh, here in, in Proverbs 11, 24 and 25 there on your handout. It says, one man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And th- this is a verse that's one of my favorite verses because I've, the first time I read that, I thought, that's a nice thought. But then the more I began to walk with people who really walk with God and are generous, and the more Katie and I have begun to take steps of faith to trust God in that and learn to be generous, like, we have seen that verse to be true time and time again. And it's no longer just a nice thought, but like, that is so true. I know that to be true. And I've seen it to be true in the lives of other people. And then the third thing that I think God wants us to use his money for is to gain wisdom on how to live life the way God designed. There's a handful of verses there related to that, but I'll read a couple of them. It says on Proverbs 17, 16, it says, Of what use is money in the hand of a fool, since he has no desire to get wisdom? And then Proverbs 4, 7 says, Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. You know, God gives us his money uh, to use as a tool to literally buy up opportunities to gain uh, wisdom. Now, you might use it. There's all sorts of ways you can, you know, earmark your money to use it to gain wisdom. It might be to go to a conference uh, that's really going to be helpful in a certain area of life. I know just as an example, we have um, been doing the last several years within our 17-6 network of churches, uh, a women's conference in the fall and a men's conference in the spring. And uh, you could begin to save up to go to that. 
You know, if you earmark $13.50 a month over 12 months, you can pay for that conference pretty easily. That's what I do in my budget, you know, one for the women's conference for Katie and one for the men's conference for me. Um, you can use money to, to go get lunch or to drive somewhere to get time with someone that you want to soak up wisdom around. You can use your money to buy a book that's really going to give you wisdom in a certain area of life. I mean, so I'd encourage you in, in, in a budget, which we'll talk about in a second, you Learn to earmark money specifically for the express purpose of gaining wisdom, because that's one of the major areas that God has wants us to use his money for. And then the fourth, uh, God wants us to use his money to give to help further God's kingdom. To help further God's kingdom. You know, it takes money to pay for the salaries and the events of people and organizations that are full-time giving their lives to uh, lead ministries that are helping, you know, further God's kingdom to help people come to know Jesus and grow up in him. And so we want to learn to give money to help further God's kingdom. And the point I have under that in point A, it says God wants us to give before we spend, before we spend to show honor to him. Proverbs 3, 9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops. You know, the first thing God, the first thing you should do when God allows you to to make and have money is you want to begin to earmark some of that for the express purpose of giving to things that are really affording God's kingdom. And I think there's, there's several reasons why, uh, he has us do that. And a lot of times there are lessons, not just because we're helping other people, but lessons God wants to teach us. And these are a couple of them. I think he, he does it for one. Uh, it reminds us that God is the real owner and helps safeguard us from serving money instead of God. Because it's real easy to begin to fall into a trap of begin to serve money, which we'll talk about more in a second. But uh, that's a real safeguard for you. Two, uh, it shapes us more into the character of God because he's a giver. Uh, everything we have is a gift from God, including, you know, the ultimate gift he gives us of his son. And it's, you know, God is not poor. I mean, he he owns the, the one verse says he owns the cattle on a thousand hill. And another guy said and he owns the hill, too. You know, he actually owns all of it. He's not poor, needing your help. But man, one of the reasons he builds into the wiring of handling money as being a giver is because that's his character. He's a natural giver. And if you're trying to become more like him, it's only natural that you begin to take on this character trait of learning to be a giver. Uh, third, it helps direct. That's one of your blanks there. It helps direct our hearts to God and his kingdom in one way and is one way to build up treasure in heaven. Helps direct our hearts to God and His kingdom is one way to build up treasure in heaven. Uh, you know, if you ever have, are having trouble, um, having your heart focused in on, you know, walking with God or certain ministries, or there's things that you really want to be true of you, one of the ways that God has built in our relationship with money is somehow it is a, a heart turner. And so if you will begin to put money towards the things that you really want to be about, you'll find yourself caring more about that because Really, the money you make is coined life, and where you give your life, you're going to be interested in how it's going. And so learning to direct your heart with money is a big one, and it helps you build up treasure in heaven. You know, you can't take money to heaven like a lot of the Egyptian, you know, pharaohs were trying to do in their tombs, but you can send it ahead in the form of investing things that are going to last forever, like God and God's people. And the fourth, remember the law of the harvest applies to your giving too. You will reap what you sow and in proportion to what you sow. You know, again, the idea of you can never outgive God, um, 
when you begin to just wrap your mind around that and realize God is going to take care of you, uh, then it's, it's kind of fun to be like, okay, I'm going to give more. I'm going to give more. And let's see what, how, how God is going to meet and take care of needs here. And I, and I, I've had conversations with people in the past when they go, so do I give, uh, should I give off the net or off the gross, you know, pre-tax or post-tax? And I think that's totally up to you. The Bible doesn't say, but I just figured if the law of the harvest applies to my giving too, I'd rather have gross blessings than net blessings. And so, you know, I'd rather just have God bless me in different ways. Now that's not always going to, uh, occur in the form of financial blessings. There's lots of other ways God blesses and takes care of you. Um, but again, I'm trusting him. I'm not trusting in a certain amount of money to take care of me. So if we are to give, uh, there are some guidelines that the New Testament talks about for giving that I wanted to share with you. And, and there might be more, but I think these are four of the major ones. Uh, the first is we want to give regularly. Give regularly. 1 Corinthians 16, 2 says, On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Second, you want to give proportionally. You know, not everyone is going to give the same dollar amount. Some people, God gives a whole lot more money than he gives to other people. Um, but you want to be making sure that you're giving in proportion to what God is giving you. And don't worry about what other people are giving or are not giving. And realize again, uh, it's all God's money. So this is, this is where you want to practice percentage giving. But you also want to be wise in remembering if it all is God's and it all comes from God, he doesn't just get a percentage. It's all his. He has the check writing ability on all of it. It's not just a certain amount of money. Um, and the third, give cheerfully and not under compulsion. Give cheerfully and not under compulsion. Second Corinthians 9, 7, uh, 9, 7a says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly and so that in all things at all time, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And so a warning, though, I'd say about that verse, it, that, that verse is... Uh, not saying just follow your emotions and do whatever you want there. Um, uh, it's cause it can be kind of scary at first to, to, to give. And so if you're waiting for the idea of I've got to really be excited about giving before I give, yeah, you may never give, you know, but learning to, uh, give and trust God. And really what that verse is maybe speaking to is you want to think ahead on what you're giving. You want to do it with a good attitude. Don't just do it whimsically. Think about what you're, what you're giving and where you're giving it. And then fourth, you know, there's going to be at times that God uh, will call you to give sacrificially. Second um, Corinthians 8, 1 through 4 talks about uh, an example in the New Testament where, where they gave sacrificially way above beyond their means. I won't read it uh, for now, but I'd encourage you to read and look that up. Um, now, there's going to be times that, again, God's going to open your eyes. You're, you may think, man, I'm in a tight financial spot. But then God opens your eyes to the needs of people around you that he really wants you to be a blessing to. And so in those times, God may call you to say, yeah, I know it's tight right now, but I want you to take care of a need there. And you trust me to take care of your need in a different way. Um, now, if if you're not sure about some of that, that's where I encourage you, man, get some wise counsel from someone. Uh, you still need to be making sure you're meeting your responsibilities in, uh, with your family and your life. But um, there's going to be times that God asks you to give sacrificially. And for Katie and I, like whatever God has kind of led in that way, Again, he's never ripped us off, and he's always come through in different ways. I've never regretted the times we've had to do that. Um, so the next thing that kind of 
the last part of our time, I want to talk about just seven warnings about money, and then we're going to end with some budgeting tips. Uh, the first is don't serve money. Don't serve it. You know, don't buy into the lie that you can live for God and live for money. You know, only one of those can really be your master. Uh, Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will despise the one and be devoted to the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, that doesn't mean if you have money that you're serving it, or that if you don't have money, you're not serving it. I mean, I've met some really godly rich people. I've also met some really ungodly poor people. Uh, the idea is you don't want it to be the first priority in your life. So if ever times come out that... You know, you have money advancement is going one way, but you think God's going another way. You choose to go the way God's going. Um, there's going to be times that uh, making money is the really wise thing to do. There's going to be some times that you decide, no, nope, don't think God's going that direction. We're going to go in a different way. But the the priority and and how you serve, whether you serve money or not, is you know what what's the priority it takes in your life? Does God kind of the thing that you're building your life around, or is it money? And then related to that, here's the second warning is don't let it be your life goal. Don't let it be your life goal. Proverbs 28, 20 says, A faithful man will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. You know, when I, when I first came across the verse, I began to realize, oh, okay, so that, I mean, for me, I, I had the idea of like, I would love to be rich. I'm going to work towards that. And surely God wants me to be rich. And that was kind of a, a goal initially in my mind. But then when I came across this verse, I realized, oh, no, 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 that, the the goal is faithful stewardship. That's the goal. Now, part of being a faithful steward means I ought to grow the money I have. You know, but if God wants to give me a lot, he can give me a lot. If he wants to give me a little, he can give me a little. That's not my prerogative to work, focus on being rich. It's focus on being a faithful steward. And God, I mean, because I'm ultimately trusting God to be the one that provides and not, not the money in the first place. And then third, don't assume an increase in money is just for you. Don't assume an increase in money is just for you. In Luke 12, Jesus tells an interesting story here. He says, kind of a scary story a little bit too. He says uh, in Luke 12, 15 to 21, he says, Then he said to them, Watch out and be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, Self, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how I will be to whoever stores up things for himself, uh, but is not rich towards God. You know, it may be that God gives you surplus because he wants to meet some needs in your life. I've had that happen before where I'm like, oh, what's this extra money for? Something the car breaks down. That's what it's for, you know. Um, but sometimes God may give you extra money because he wants to direct it through you to the lives of other people. So a good practice there is learn to pray through extra money that comes in and think, God, what do you want me to do with this? Because this is actually your money. It's not mine. So what are you wanting to use this money for? It may be that he wants to increase your standard of living, but he might just want to increase your standard of giving too, not just that. And then fourth, don't wait to give until you're rich or even just doing well financially. Um, you know, Luke 16, 10 through 12 just talks about the idea of, you know, he who is faithful with much will be faithful with, or he who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. 
And that is so true. I mean, it's easy to fool ourselves into thinking, you know, I don't make a lot now. I'm in college or I, I just started working this and that. And when I get really wealthy, I will become a, just a, a radical giver. A lot of people think that the reality is that's just not true. You know, what the Bible says is actually the practices you have now are the practices you're going to have later. If you're faithful a little, you're going to be faithful much. So I'd encourage you, man, right where you're at, uh, whatever that may look like, begin the practice of just giving in your uh, stage of life and realizing, again, God's not going to rip you off and you can't outgive God and you can trust him with that. And then fifth, don't go into debt if possible. You know, today a lot of times in our culture, debt is sort of talked about as like, a really great tool to leverage to get certain things. Um, but I would just encourage you to be careful about that. You know, Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Uh, the Bible doesn't outright, and there's other verses that talk about this, the Bible doesn't outright say that debt is wrong, but it doesn't say it's very wise. And so for me personally, um, the way Katie and I have kind of looked at this, I, I only really see maybe two things that might be legitimate for us that would be worth going into debt for one would be an education and two would maybe be a house Um, because both those go up in value and both those can take a very very long time to pay for in just one lump sum but you know depending on where you live in the country if it's not california or certain places or what kind of scholarships or financial aid you can get you might be able to get away with going to debt for those two even Um, but what i found though is most often if you're not going to debt for those two most often people go into debt really out of a lack of contentment with where they're at in their stage of life and, and an inability to defer or delay gratification. They want it now. And it doesn't matter if they have the money for it. They want it now. And I think, man, that, that can really get you into bondage pretty quickly. So I'd encourage you to, if possible, avoid debt as much as you can. And then uh, next, next one, six, don't think a certain amount will satisfy. Instead, choose contentment. Choose contentment. Proverbs twenty seven twenty says, Death and destruction are never satisfied, and neither are the eyes of men. How much do you need to be satisfied? This was a question asked to John D. Rockefeller, who started the famous company Standard Oil, and in the early 1900s was a billionaire. And so when you think about what the power of the dollar was in the early 1900s, by today's standards, he'd probably still be the wealthiest person that's ever lived. Um, and so he got asked this by a reporter one time, and he famously replied to the question, how much is enough? He said, just a little bit more, you know, just a little bit more, um, which makes sense because, again, if your eyes are never satisfied, uh, how much, how big does your bank account need to be to be satisfied? Well, just, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. So in order to not just continue to go down the thing, you have to begin to decide, you know what, I'm going to choose contentment, you know, and that's a lot easier to do when you're walking with God, it's still difficult, but deciding, you know what, that's enough. I don't, I don't need beyond that. That's enough. I will, I'll be satisfied with that. If God wants to bless me more, great. But if he doesn't, I'll be content with what I have. And then the last warning, um, don't think it'll always be there. You have to manage your money. A budget is required. Uh, Proverbs 27, 23 and 24 says, be sure you know the condition of your flocks and give careful attention to your herds for riches do not endure forever. And a crown is not secure for all generations. You know, just because it's been there doesn't mean it's always going to be there. And so you always have to be managing your money. You can't just go into autopilot or think, oh, I did this in the past. I don't have to do it in the future. 
There, there, there's some things that get easier along the way and you can automate some stuff, but you always want to manage where your money is and where it's going. Now, real quick, let me run through just some t- 10 budgeting tips and then, uh, and then we'll wrap up. And if you have questions, you can feel free to ask those after. Uh, one, and we've talked about this a lot, you know, give before you spend. Give before you spend. This shows trust to God. Two, write out a new budget every month. Write out a new budget every month. Uh, you know, don't just have annual, an annual budget thing and then forget about it till the next year. You know, every month write out a new budget. And there's some, some helpful tools I'll share with you in a second that you can do for that. But, uh, third, be patient with yourself. It's gonna take a while to get the budget right. Uh, and there'll always be tweaks along the way, but typically it takes about three months before you have a decent working budget. So don't give up. Don't, ah, I tried that for two months. It doesn't work. Well, you're almost there. You know, you're almost getting to the point that you have a budget that might actually begin to work. Um, and then four, accountability is needed. Review it with someone who is wise with money and can tell you the truth. Now, if you're married, you kind of have a little bit of built-in accountability with your spouse, but it may be that you want to even still talk about it with someone else. And if you're single, I'd encourage you to get, uh, you know, a buddy or a friend who, is further down the road and, you know, handles money in a, in a, in a wise way that you can sort of, you know, share with your thoughts on how you're budgeting things and, and get their feedback because that's really important. That's a very taboo subject to talk about, you know, money. I can't talk about money. You know, it's like, well, you can't, but, uh, if you'll, if you'll do it, it'll really help in really avoiding some, some pitfalls. And then fifth, keep it simple. Have well understood categories. Um, you know, don't try to make a super convoluted budget. A simple budget that you practice is much better than a complicated budget that you don't. Um, and if you're not sure what categories to have in certain areas, you know, well, ask. You know, if you're if you're fresh out of college and you're thinking, I have no idea, you know, what categories to have in my budget, well, ask someone who is further down the road out of college. If you're about to have kids, you're, what do I budget for kids other than diapers? Is there anything? You know, well, ask someone who has kids. I mean, and just... You can always find people in our church and around here that are a little bit further down the road that you can ask about categories of life for. And then uh, six, have a zero-based budget. And what I mean by that is learn to spend all your money on paper before the month begins, you know, giving every dollar a name. And the idea here is not that you're spending all your money at, uh, before the month begins, but that you're, you're telling your money where to go rather than wondering where it went. Um, so you, you choose to assign every dollar that you're going to make that month in categories. Some of it may be the bills, some of it may be the savings, some of it may be giving, but you already know what you're planning on doing with the money before it hits your bank account, the check that you're going to get that week or that month or every two weeks. Um, and then seven, don't, don't leave things out, but record all transactions. Try to have as few things in the miscellaneous category as possible. You know, if you just have one category that's like miscellaneous and every transaction, that's, that's, at least you're keeping track of where things are going, but it's not a very developed budget at that point, so you're probably going to need a few more categories than that. And so think through um, areas you need. And if you if you make a budget but you don't input receipts and transactions in it, then it just kind of serves as a lot of mission statements on companies' walls. You look at it you know, annually and wipe it off every now and then, you're proud of it, but you don't actually live by it. So I'd encourage you to you know, record all the transactions that you actually have. And then eight, use an envelope system. For categories you might be tempted to overspend in or lose track of, uh, some examples of that might be groceries or entertainment or 
you know, eating out or clothing or gifts or other stuff. And basically, there's, there, what's, what I mean by that is envelope system, if you're not familiar with that concept, is literally have some envelopes, go to the bank, withdraw cash. It's something, I know it's, a lot of people aren't aware of cash, but they still, it's still in currency out there. And you go get cash and you put it in the envelopes, and then you carry around that inside your wallet or your purse or wherever you're doing, and when you're gonna spend out of, say, entertainment, you pull money out of the entertainment envelope, and you just spend out of that. And you don't even really have to keep track of receipts. Because you know when you're out of money because you look in your envelope and there's no more money in there. And then at that point, you just practice creativity and contentment for the remainder of the month. Um, or you can take it from another category in your budget. But if you'll begin to do that, you will never have an overdraft in that area of your uh, of your budget. Uh, you don't have to keep track of 10,000 receipts. And there's digital ways to do budget envelopes too. Um, but I encourage you, if you've never practiced an envelope system, I'd encourage you to do it with handheld cash and not just with uh, digital envelopes because it's different spending cash and holding on to all those annoying coins and quarters than it is just swipe a card, swipe a card. You know, they've done studies that say actually people spend about 18% more annually with if they use cards alone than if they use cash just because there's less pain involved in swiping a card than spending cash. And so, so envelope system can be really helpful in areas that you tend to overspend. And if you're married, can cause us arguments. Um, nine, make a budget that works for you. If you don't like it, change it because you actually have to live with it. So, you know, a budget is not a straitjacket for your money. It's actually a tool to really help you direct money that God has given you where you really want it to go. So if you don't like the way your budget's laid out, it doesn't have to be the same as someone else's. Change it. It's your budget. Um, and then 10, uh, actually follow the budget. <laughs> this is kind of a simple one, but, you know, common sense is not always common practice. Uh, you know, if you, if you make a great budget and it's three layers deep in Excel sheets, but you don't actually reference it when you make everyday decisions, it's not helpful. So figure out a budget and actually follow it. And if you've never made a budget, there, there's a couple websites there I put at the end, uh, on three tools for creating a budget. Um, everydollar.com, it's free. You can use that. Quicken, if you like that. Um, or Mint is another great website, uh, where you can create budget software tools. I did handwritten, budgets for the first several years of our marriage and then I did Excel sheets and then I started using every dollar and I really like that. It's very, you know, workable and um easy to kind of, you know, customize it the way you want it. And so but I know people that have used all three of those and they really like it. So if you don't have a working software of some sort, one of those three could really be helpful for you. So um so let me let me pray for us and then I'll be down here in front if you guys have uh questions that you want to Ask follow up on some of that, and then we'll uh, we'll be dismissed for the day. So let me pray for us, uh, Father. I really do pray. Um, and we just covered a lot of information right there, but the main thing I really would pray that uh, each of the guys and girls here would walk away with would be um, just that they can really trust in you that they are that you are highly um, interested in and involved in the details of their finances. Um, and God, you want to use that as a tool to really take care of and bless them, but you also want to use it as a tool to build character in them and to meet the people's needs around them. And so I pray that um, they would really transfer their trust more and more daily into you and not into their um, ability to make or maintain or budget their money. Um, but as a result of really wanting to steward their money well, God, that they would really take the time to learn more about how to handle their money well, 
um, both in a way that's really honoring to you and can really be a blessing to them and the people around them. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.